0: Welcome to the Left Hand Church Podcast. My name's Paula Stone-Williams, and I'm one of the co-pastors here. We're so glad that you're with us. We love having you join us here at Left Hand, we would love it if you would join us in a financial way as well. You can text any amount to 84321, and we'll receive it. You also can go to our website, lefthandchurch.org, and you can find out there how you can donate. Every time we begin a service, we begin with these words. Married, divorced, and single here, it's one family that mingles here. Conservative and liberal here, we've all got to give a little here. Big and small here, there's room for us all here. Doubt and belief here, we all can receive here. LGBTQ and straight here, there is no hate here. Woman, non-binary, and man here, everyone can here. Whatever your race here, for all of us, grace here. In imitation of the ridiculous love Almighty God has for each of us and all of us, let us live and love without labels. Hey,
1: everyone. Hopefully, um, your day is going better than mine. Because, uh, this is a true story. This morning, Kate asked if I want to go run some errands with her. And I said, sure. So I... Hurry up, get ready, jump in the car. We drive off. We're doing the first errand and Kate looks at me. She says, are your pants on backwards? So I think I rocked four or five errands with my pants on backwards today. So if you put your pants on the right way, you're doing better than I. Um. That's a true story, yes? Yes. Uh, good afternoon. It's so good to be with you, if, whether this is your 200th time here or your first time here. We're glad to have you. Um, this afternoon, we're starting a new sermon series, and it's titled, Why Progressive Christianity? And I'm just going to read something that's on the Left Hand Church website. It says, Left Hand is a progressive Christian church rooted in a Trinitarian understanding of God with roots in the evangelical tradition of worship. There's a lot of big words there. As an aside, I had a girlfriend who once broke up with me because of my lack of vocabulary. And I was like, but what does that even mean? But today we're gonna start to look at a question that I think is central to our faith, which is what is the gospel what is the good news within the lens of a progressive Christian? And I think for many of us that the framework that we inherited is the gospel is something that's going to happen in the future. Did any of you go to church camp when you were kids? I used to go to church camp a lot. And it was usually in a small town up by Fair Play called Como, Colorado. And on the last night of church camp, every time... We would hike up maybe 10,000 feet to an overlook that had three crosses right there. And when I say we'd hike up, even slightly overweight asthmatic kids would hike up to this clearing. And the week's preacher, the preacher who'd been preaching for for the entire duration of the camp, would get up in front of the crosses and usually tell a scary story that was something like this. It's possible that someone here is going to die tonight. And if you die tonight, where are you going to go? In my older age, when he's saying that, I imagine he looked at the kid who's asthmatic and weaving and wheezing and be like, that's the one who's going tonight. But anyway, after the preacher concluded the message, there was always an altar call where kids would come forward and give their lives to God by creating a personal relationship with Jesus, which is a saying that's very popular among people from my church background. And nearly all of us kids would come forward because it was a scary question that the preacher asked because in the framework of an angry, distant God who would shake his finger at us, it's scary. God couldn't be trusted to be compassionate or tender. The message was always, are you going to go to heaven or are you going to go to hell? And the gospel was about getting yourself to heaven. According to this understanding, accepting Jesus as your personal savior is the way that you can make sure you're going to go to heaven when you die. Marcus Borg describes the approach as believing now for the sake of heaven later. Believing now for the sake of heaven later. It's a framework a framework that's focused on the future. It's a framework that's still used in a lot of churches today. The thing about that view of the gospel is our faith becomes increasingly transactional. We accept Jesus as our personal savior and we get that special barcode on our arm. And then when it's our time, time to die, well, we get up to the pearly gates. They have a checker that's like a King Supers. They scan our arm, and we pass right on into heaven. Our faith is a King Supers scanner. You show them the barcode, beep, 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 and you're in. Again, with this view of our faith, you can see why some call Christians self centered. Well, my faith is a personal thing between me and God. What matters is my personal relationship with Jesus, which is a phrase that is never once found in the Bible, by the way. It's not found in the Hebrew scriptures. Jesus never used the phrase, nor did John, Peter, James, or even the woman who wrote the book of Hebrews. And That's one for you to look up. And built into the gospel translation, is the fact that Jesus paid a debt that I owe to God. Jesus paid my debt, I believe in that, and now I get to go to heaven, or at least get God off my back. I think a lot of us are probably familiar with this lens, yes? The believe now for heaven later mindset that Marcus Borg talks about allows us to ignore a lot of things. It allows us to ignore a lot of urgent things because why care about the planet if we're just gonna get out of here and move away? Why pursue equity? Why protest injustice? Why care about solvable issues like clean water and global hunger? Why do anything that smacks of a social gospel, which by the way is a bad term in some church circles, which is an exercise in totally and completely missing the point. Why does anything that, have an impact, that has an impact on our world and society, why do we care about it if all we want to do is get the barcode so we can get out of here? The gospel is about heaven and the future, which reminds me of the Kenny Chesney song, Everyone Wants to Go to Heaven, But Nobody Wants to Go Now. So that's the framework that I inherited. I suspect it's the framework that many of you inherited as well. And now for many of us that may be deconstructed in our older spaces and are reconstructing a new faith, well how, using a progressive lens, can we look at the gospel? What does the gospel mean when viewed through a progressive Christian lens? Well, let's look at what Jesus says. As an aside, there are some scholars who talk about there being two Gospels in the Bible. One, the Gospel of Jesus, and one, the Gospel of Paul. I think it's an interesting idea. But we're going to look today at what Jesus said. And so it's in the book of Luke. It's, Jesus, it's in Luke 4, and Jesus gives his very first sermon in Luke 4, at least according to the book of Luke. And Jesus is in a synagogue in Nazareth, right? Jesus has just come home. He's come out of the wilderness after being tempted for 40 days, and he's getting quite a reputation. We'll pick it up in Luke 4, verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the spirit of Galilee, and a report went out through all the, a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So again, Jesus has decided to read several verses from the book of Isaiah in his first sermon. And Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to, re- to proclaim release to the prisoners and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled, just as you heard it. Now, this is a moment. It's a high drama moment. Jesus reads the text. His first sermon sits down. I imagine that there's sort of a hush over the crowd as people maybe lean in to hear what he's going to say. And then things go sour for jesus everyone thought jesus was great but then jesus pushed the envelope a little further in luke 4 and the crowd tried to throw him off a cliff they tried to run him out of town and throw him off a cliff and yes that's in the bible the funny thing about that by the way is not a lot has changed if you look at the youtube comments on progressive pastors sermons uh, like today's but let's go back Before they try to run Jesus out of town, Jesus takes the scroll, Jesus opens it to read, and the text that he chooses is from the book of Isaiah, and he speaks about good news, that Jesus is preaching the gospel, and it's good news to the poor, to the imprisoned, to the oppressed, and the sick. After all, what would the good news be if you didn't have enough food to eat? What would the good news be if you didn't have a place to live? Which is a reality, unfortunately, that some of us are feeling today. What would be the good news if you're being oppressed by an unjust system? What would be the good news if you're subject to violence because of your race, because of your orientation, because of your gender? Jesus isn't saying, listen, I know you've been squashed in the system. I know that life stinks, but don't worry. The good news is once you die, you don't have to worry about this stuff. That's not the message. Jesus proclaims liberty to those who are oppressed and sight for those that are blind. He's saying that the gospel, the good news, is about the transformation of this world. It's not an afterlife management system or a personal relationship with Jesus or becoming a more polite person. No, Jesus is saying, yes, it's about justice. Yes, it's about equity. It's about solidarity. It's about compassion. The gospel is about politics. The gospel is about economics. The gospel is inherently social because it casts a version of a different world. One that's different than the one that too often we find ourselves in. I know I say this over and over and over again, but I think it gets to the point of what we at Left Hand Church, a progressive church, believe about the gospel. And that is that the gospel is a verb. It's not an idea to assent to. It's a way of being. It's a way of living that makes the, better, the world a better place for all of us. Think about it this way. Jesus doesn't get executed by the Roman authorities for teaching a disembodied spirituality of going to heaven when you die. He dies because he's
0: challenging
1: the system. He's challenging the way that the empire runs the world. He's saying, yeah, there is a better way to do things. There's a way to do it more equitably, more compassionately, more justly, more generously, more peacefully, and more loving. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he's talking about bringing justice onto earth as it is in heaven. And he says, you don't have to wait to die to do that because it's right here, right now. And we can help transform the world by embodying a more just and generous gospel. Couple thoughts, first, many people myself included had assumed that when jesus talks about the kingdom the kingdom of heaven he was only talking about a far off place a far off heaven where people go when they die but when jesus is talking about the kingdom he's not usually talking about the place we go where we die the place that's up above the clouds with the angels playing harps this to me is one of the most fundamental mistakes that the modern American church has made when it comes to their theology. For the Jewish mind, and remember, we need to remember that Jesus was Jewish. Heaven and earth are two interlocking arenas of God's world. Heaven is God's space, And the earth is our space. And those spaces are designed to overlap and interlock. The last image of the book of Revelation is the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven to earth. With heaven and earth now fully and finally reconciled, integrated, and restored. Think of the Lord's Prayer, which is from earlier in the Sermon of the Mount. And Jesus says, thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This literally means God bringing his kingdom to earth. In a couple of weeks, I'm actually gonna preach a little bit more about the end times and the eschatology, which is the study of end times that I was brought up with in my tradition, but I think it's an important point that needs to be made today. N.T. Wright or Bishop Tom as the cool kids call him is arguably the most, the preeminent biblical scholar alive today. And he says, when the New Testament speaks of God's kingdom and finding eternal life, it never ever refers to heaven, pure and simple. It always refers to God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven, as Jesus himself taught us to pray we have slipped into the easygoing language of the kingdom of heaven in the sense of God's kingdom being heaven, but the the early church never spoke that way. The point about heaven is that heaven is the control room for earth. Heaven is the CEO's office from which earth is run or from which it's supposed to be run, which is why we're called to pray to help that become a reality. You with me? Jesus teaches us to pursue the life of heaven now, and also then, anticipating the day when heaven and earth become one. So practice honest business, friends. Practice redemptive art. Practice sustainable living. Practice healing and medicine. Practice education. Practice helping build a church Practice making a home. Practice tending a garden. Because these are all sacred tasks. That are to be done in partnership with God now, because they'll all go on in the age to come. In heaven, on earth. That is the gospel. Jesus called his disciples to learn from him how to live in God's world God's way, constantly learning and growing and evolving and exploring. And now another thought, and it's a little more personal. It's this, this church's job to live out the gospel. I spoke last week about how my role in this church is gonna change a little bit and how I'm gonna be moving sort of out of a co-pastor role. And I'll still get up here and talk every once in a while. But it gets me thinking about how I am not this church. We are all collectively this church. And we are all tasked with embodying the good news and the gospel for the transformation of the world. So I'd like to read a segment of a letter that I wrote to the church two years ago. I think it's important because it reminds us that this this church that this community is bigger than any of us, and it's bigger than all of us. And sometimes I think it's fun to look back and see and get some perspective on how far we've come and how much further we're all going to go together, me included. And so today I feel as strongly about this as when I wrote it two years ago. There's a question hanging in the air. It's the 20,000 pound elephant that needs to be addressed. With this change, what happens to left-hand church? Well, first, we all need to remember that the church, it's not a thing. It's not separate from us, because we are all left-hand church. Left-hand church is the people that sit and break bread together, that cry together, that sing together, and follow Jesus together. So when people say, what is gonna happen to left-hand, they're asking a question. What is going to happen to you? What are you going to do? How are you going to respond? You are the answer because you are the church. Left hand is not a product. It's a community of people that have our ethos that we read each week in our DNA. It's a community of people that believe that the gospel is a verb. You are left hand church. Remember the scene in Toy Story? When Woody yells at Buzz, he says, you are a toy. Well, I'm Woody yelling at all of you that you are the church. You are the answer to what's going to happen at left hand. And we have a leadership team that will continue to guide us and pastors that will continue to inspire us. And we have a great team to help lead our youth and our children. And all of you contribute in so many ways to the contemplative services, the happy hours, the book studies, the branches groups, the likes and shares on Facebook, the criticisms about a lack of permanent space for our church building. That was a funny joke two years ago. So I ask all of you, please, let's answer this call. We can whisper love to all that we come in contact with. We can still join in community. We can still walk the narrow path to life. We can live the gospel as a verb. I have a tendency to say that a lot. There is still hope in who we are as a church. Let's bring our friends to church. Let's get more involved. Let's believe. Let's love. Let's find the life. Because ultimately, we have all leaned over and looked into the tomb and breathlessly run as fast as we could to our friends, exclaiming that he isn't in there. And in that moment, we are seized by hope. My prayer is that we take that hope and cling to that hope and protect that hope. I, for one, believe this church's best days are ahead of us. So I want to make sure that we act that out every day. And perhaps someday, someday, we'll even get a permanent church space. So that was the letter that I helped write. And friends, I want to tell you, I have the utmost confidence in Nicole, in Christy, in Paula, in Heather Lynn. We have a great team here, and they're going to continue to lead us to do great things. And we have a great LC, or Leadership Council, and they'll lead us, and yeah, you're gonna have to listen to me every once in a while because I'm still gonna get up here and talk. But I hope the lesson that we take from all of this is that it is all of our jobs, all of our jobs, to live out the gospel and that the gospel is a verb. Let's pray. God, thank you for this church Thanks for this community of people that understand that the gospel is a verb that we are called to live out every single day. Help us be your hands and your feet. Help us push things a little further so we're a little closer to a place where heaven and earth are locked together and reconciled and restored. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.
2: There comes a time when we've run out of wishes And all that we hope for is weighed down by gold If only the naked were clothed in the kisses of love.
1: This is John Gaddis. I'm one of the co-pastors here at Left Hand Church. As you listen to this teaching, we hope it was a reminder that the love of God is bigger, more inclusive, and filled with more grace than any of us can imagine. There is truly room for us all here. If you have any questions about Left Hand Church or this teaching, please email me at john at lefthandchurch.org. You can also tune into our live stream services on our church Facebook page every Sunday at 5 p.m. Mountain for great music and original teachings. Thank you for joining us.